It's Wednesday Wonders, science fiction and fantasy on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Hey, welcome to Chronosphere Fiction. This is your pilot, Daniel French. We're bringing you the second episode of October Country with a story written by Chauncey Haworth. It's called Everybody Hates Maddie McGill. I'm excited, so let's start this dusty excursion through October Country. Folks travel these roads, not knowing they lead to darkness. Not knowing, eyes watch in the sheltered veil. Voices whisper from beyond. If these roads are malign, wanderers and derelicts will find themselves in October country. folks. I'm August Scythe. I'm a tour guide of sorts for folks who find themselves here, like you. I'm also a caretaker of these parts, a local historian, a collector of stories about those who pass through. Evening, folks. October country isn't all bad. There are families here just like anywhere else. Old folks on porches. Kids going to school. Couples falling in love. It's this normality that makes the abnormality, and dare I say the deviance of October country, all the more grim. Here, you can find the most malignant of intentions in the most benign of places. Like in the story of poor Maddie Gill, people have looked for clues as to her whereabouts for years. But if you want to know what really happened to Maddie Gill, one need only look in the most innocent of places. The diary of one 15-year-old Abby Kirk. Maddie McGill is my best friend. Or so she thought. We've been like two peas in a pod since we were kids. Our dads owned a business together, RSS Construction. They build houses and buildings, rain, sleet, and snow construction. We grew up doing everything together. Same teams, same schools, same friends. Our birthdays were even just days apart, so we even had the same parties. But there was one major difference. No matter what I did, 
nobody noticed me. And everybody loved Maddie McGill. And over the years, I came to hate her for it. It wasn't really anything she did. I know that now. But at the time, I would have sworn she was doing it on purpose. Pushing people away from me, telling them terrible things behind my back. What other reason could there have been for everybody to love her so much, yet show nothing but indifference to my presence? The worst of it was Nangchit Suan, but we all called her Nat for some reason. She said it meant the power of goodness, but I thought she was evil. Evil and in cahoots with Maddie McGill. Maddie, over here. Hey, Nat. What was up with that substitute? Hi, Nat. Oh, hi, Abby. Yeah, I swear, that guy couldn't keep his eyes up here, if you know what I mean. Of course we knew what she meant. What is it about popular people that they think they know it all and we are just stupid peasants? The TV is full of people joking about boys and mansplaining. But some of that should be focused on popular pretty girls, too. He was eyeing me up and down all class. I don't know, but I did get some creepy vibe off the old guy. What about you, Abby? Did that guy creep you out or what? I don't know. I guess so. Yeah, right. Nat, that's not nice. Maddie would try to stick up for me, but I could see it in their eyes. A shared disdain for my general being. From Nat, it was obvious. From Maddie, it was worse. A sneaky, quiet backroom betrayal from my supposed best friend. Are we walking home together today? Not today, Scabby. Come on, Nat. You know she doesn't like that. She always called me Scabby. When we were kids, our parents thought it would be a good idea for us all to get chickenpox together and sent us over to Evie Donaldson's house to get infected and for babysitting while they were at work. While Maddie and Nat came through the experience just fine, I had a terrible case, resulting in scabs all over my face, hence the name Scabby. It could have been worse, I guess. Evie had one on her forehead that started bleeding, landing her with the nickname Bleedy. The entire week was Nat and Maddie hanging out while Evie and I suffered. And from that day forward, at least to Nat, Abby and Evie were scabby and bleedy. Yeah, sorry, Abby. We have dance team practice today. Yep, time to get our dance on, girl. When we first got into high school, we all tried out for the dance team together. Maddie and Nat made it. I didn't. But Abby, I promise I'll come right over after and we can work on the science project. It seemed like the only times that I was guaranteed to hang out with Maddie anymore was when there was a school project. I had the reputation for being the school nerd in the group. 
it wasn't that I was particularly into school, but what else is there to do when you spend so much time alone? Yeah, go ahead and get started, Abby. Maddie might be late if she walks home with a certain tall, dark, and handsome. Shut up, Nat! Everybody has a crush on Jason Rosado. And why wouldn't they? He was handsome, his parents had money, he was a star athlete at the school in, like, every sport. I was no different. I, too, dreamed that Jason might be my Prince Charming. But unlike Maddie, nobody was ever pulling for me. No one was ever pushing me to him or him to me. So I walked home alone. I took the path we always take through Wicker's Pass, a small vale between Carlson Ridge and Black Ridge. I spent more time there than I would like to admit to most people. It was a beautiful pass of green trees and a small creek that passed between the hills that separated our school from our neighborhood. That day was no different at first. I walked down Palmer Road until I hit the turn into the Vale, and I immediately felt better once entering the trees. There is something about the trees that makes me feel safe. Out on the street, even one as dead as Palmer's, it makes me feel exposed. Once in the forest, it's like I'm in my element. Places to hide, places to not be seen by the world that couldn't care less if I were around or not. Our science project was on geology, so I spent the afternoon in the bristling tree-shimmered sun looking for different types of rocks. I was pleasantly surprised that there were so many types of rocks. I was less pleased with the number of bugs. On that particular day, I found a rock, or what I thought to be a rock, flush up against the hillside at the base of Carlson Ridge. It wasn't particularly large or heavy, about the size of a tennis ball. On closer inspection, it turned out to be an old doorknob. It wasn't uncommon for us to find old trash dumped in the veil, refrigerators people had used for target practice, warped and splintering old furniture, old mattresses I don't even want to know why they were here. But this doorknob, it was as if someone had thrown it at the hillside and it had stuck. I tried to dig it out, but I didn't have to dig far. I hit something solid. I hit wood. Was it a door that had been laid here and then grown over, adopted by my magical valley between two mountains? My home away from home here in Wicker's Pass? I felt a kinship to the door a pleasing sense that we were both the same, discarded and alone, left to rot, if not for the forest in Wicker's Pass, wrapping us up in its unjudging limbs. I wanted to see the door. I gently pulled away all the loving overgrowth. When done, I found that the door was not laid here, but actually hinged to the side of Carlson's Ridge. I stepped back to get a better look at this oddly placed door. In doing so, I tripped on a pile of rocks and fell to the ground, my face rubbing into the dirt as I landed, dust going into my eyes. I wiped at my eyes and started to stand up. 
but in front of me, I noticed a glint in the dry needles and dust. I reached out and wrapped my hand around it, sitting up and bringing the fistful of needles, dirt, and glint to my lap. I cleaned the glint away and realized it was a key, a small old bronze skeleton key. It had a long stem with a few teeth and the top of the key was some kind of knot of metal twigs and thorns. It didn't take me long to put together that I had just found a door and doors use keys. I stood up and turned to the door in the rock. In the doorknob, I could see a keyhole. I didn't think. What would one think anyway? Sure, if it was a safe door, maybe the government or something, but an old wooden door and a skeleton key in the woods? I should have thought, but I didn't. I opened the door. The door that was somehow a part of the rock opened with no resistance once the key was entered into the lock. It was like a seal had been broken. A gust of damp, musty air piled forth. It was putrid, smelling of dead skunk and rotten trash, but the smell was quickly subdued by the smell of flowers and fresh grass. I stood there, staring at the open door into the blackness in the rock behind it, and I heard a voice, a voice that said my name. Abby. I was shocked. I stepped back several steps and stared into the black. Of all things I expected to spring from the darkness, a rabid wolf, a zombie, a serial killer, I did not expect what emerged. It was a woman, a beautiful woman with jet black hair, pale white skin, and an elegant white dress, almost a nightgown, but the most beautiful flowing white fabric that shimmered a bit in the sunlight. Abby Kirkland. She was stating my name, but still, I took it as a question in my shock. Yes? Thank you, Abby Kirkland. Who... who are you? I am your friend. You have released me from my imprisonment, and for that, I am in your debt, Abby Kirkland. How? How did you get in the rocks? How do you... how do you know my name? I was locked away here long ago by people who thought that I was bad. People who feared me. People who hated me. Just like you, Abby Kirkland. I was despised by those that did not understand me. How do you know me? I have always known you, Abby Kirkland. Every day you walk through this veil. Every day I feel you, not like they do. I feel the real you. But why me? Why feel me? I feel your hate. My hate? But I don't hate anybody. I am your friend, Abby Kirkland. And I know you. The real you. The sadness, the loneliness, and the hate. Your feelings have fed me, sustained me, kept me alive, and that is why I owe you a debt. A debt? I will return your hate to you threefold. 
for you to do with what you wish. I don't understand. I don't want to hate. I don't want any hate. The hate is not for you, but the power is. What is it that you want, Abby Kirkland? What is it that you want more than anything? I don't want anything. I just want to be left alone. I want everybody to just leave me alone. Come now, Abby Kirkland. What is it you really want? It only works if you tell me what you really want. I don't want anything. Tell me. I knew what I wanted, but I was too scared to say it out loud. I wasn't scared of this woman from the mountainside's judgment. I had just dreamt it for so long. It had become encyclopedic in its volumes. I had thought about it so much in so many ways that I wasn't sure I could sum it up in an answer, a phrase that anyone would understand. But it came to me and I said my darkest want aloud to this strange and beautiful woman. I want everybody to hate Maggie McGill. Yes. It's at this point in a story that the sky should go dark, that there should be a crack of thunder, some sort of omen of what's to come, some sort of alarm to inform what horrors lie ahead. But that alarm did not come because the horror was not for me. I don't even remember what happened after her snake-like whisper. It was like I instantly fell asleep. I awoke to pounding at my door. It wasn't late and I was confused by the sleep. I got off my bed where I had laid fully clothed on top of the covers. The pounding at the door came again. I walked through the house, realizing it was empty, which was to be expected as I remembered that my dad was out hunting and that it was barely 6 p.m. on a Wednesday. And that meant dark night for my mom at Kelly's. The pounding was now continuous, a nonstop beating on the front door. I walked to the door, still groggy, and opened it. Standing there, looking very much worse for wear, was Maddie McGill. Abby, thank God. She pushed past me in a panic, slamming the door behind her. Oh, God. You have to help me, Abby. Everybody's after me. They are trying to get me. What? Like everybody! Was it possible? Was this really happening? Please tell me you're not with them. You're my only friend left. Please tell me you don't hate me too. Can this be possible? Is Maddie McGill really asking me if I hate her? I wanted to say yes. From the depths of my being, I wanted to scream in her face that I did hate her, that I had always hated her. I wanted to add up the number of hours I had laid in bed, dreaming of all the terrible ways that she could die. A car wreck, cancer, raped and murdered on the side of the road, alone, bleeding out on the concrete. Yes, a thousand times, yes, I 
hate you, Maddie McGill. Yes. But I didn't say that. No, Maddie, I don't hate you. What happened? What happened to you? Her story was better than any dream my imagination at the time could have come up with. It was perfect and terrible. Everything and more than I had ever wished on her. But it brought me no peace. We had left each other, me to walk home alone and her and Nat to go to dance practice. Her day went as expected, dancing with her friends and being cool, with Jason Rosado waiting at the fencing of the field to walk her home in their little storybook high school romance. When Nat started being mean to her. I mean, Maddie. Nat was never mean to Maddie. Jesus, Maddie, knock it off. Knock what off? You're all out of step. What? How? What am I doing wrong? Everything, you cow. How many times are you going to ruin all of our hard work? Ruin it? Me? But Jesus, Maddie. I just can't. Call it a day. I need some breathing space from this loser. But I... They had turned on her. And from what I could tell of the story... They had turned on her at that very moment, the moment I spoke my desire. But Maddie's story didn't end there. It was just the beginning. She walked away in tears and went to walk home when she was intercepted by Jason. Maddie, Maddie, wait! Leave me alone, please. Are you okay? What happened? I don't know. Not just freaked out on me. Really? Called me a cow and said she couldn't be around me. I mean, she's one of my best friends. Nat, me, and Abby, we're best friends. I'm not surprised. Not surprised? Yeah, I mean, like, everyone knows Nat's a bitch. It was just a matter of time. A matter of time? A matter of time until what? I mean, Nat was nice to you, but mean to everyone else. It was just a matter of time until, you know. Until she was mean to me, too. Abby tried to tell me the same thing. Well, it sounds like Abby is looking out for you. Yeah, she is. I just... Wish I would have seen it coming. Yeah, you should have. Well, I try to be nice. And that's your problem. Always playing the nice girl. Playing the nice girl? What does that mean? You know, always walking around with your tits in your face thinking you're better than everyone? I don't think I'm better than everyone. God, you are such a liar. Sometimes I just like to wipe that stupid look off your face. My look? Just smash it into the concrete and rub it like a crayon back and forth until all that's left is a bloody skull. I think I better get going. Just imagine it. I never thought of myself as an artist, but your sniveling and whining inspires me. I'd like to draw with your bloody face across this very road, create a flag with your skin so people could come from miles around and I could charge them admission to see the creation that I made from your blood and insides. I'm leaving. Why not? Why not now? I think people would thank me. People would love it and I would be famous. Stop! You're hurting me! Let go! Don't fight, you bitch. You are my pen and I just need to take off the lid. Ah! I knew it was what I wanted. Even Jason Rosado hated her. I should have been happy, but I wasn't. She had run from Jason as he chased her. Come back here, you bitch! 
We'll make beauty out of your insides. You won't hurt for long. You'll be forever immortalized as a stain on the goddamn street. She ran. She said it was like floating or riding a roller coaster how fast she ran, fearing that he would commit the terrible things he was saying. That he would grind off her face to the bone. She rounded the corner at 3rd Street and burst through the front doors of Miller's Grocery. She begged them to help her. Please help! Maddie? Maddie McGill, is that you? Please help me, Mr. Miller. It's Jason. He's gone crazy. He wants to hurt me. Jason Rosano? Maddie? What's happened here? Uh, don't worry, Mr. Miller. I know her. Her mom and I are friends. Okay, okay, Mrs. Wright. Now, honey, what's happened? It was Jason. He was walking me home after Nat got mad at me, and then he started calling me irritating and fake and said he wanted to hurt me. Hurt you? Oh, Maddie, he said he just wanted to hurt you? That's terrible. He said he was going to kill me. Well, that's more like it. What? That's what I was thinking too, Mrs. Wright. Yes. Now that I think of it, I too would like to kill you. I'd like to hit her in the head with a hammer. Oh my god! Oh, Mr. Miller, you are positively devilish. I have a hammer in the back. If you'll hold her, I'll run and fetch it. Come here, Maddie. It'll all be over in a couple of good whacks. Then we can take turns spitting on your corpse and everybody will be happy. Get away from me. Stop squirming, you little tart. I just want to see what the inside meat of your stupid head looks like. Please, please don't do this. Abner, Mrs. Brzezowski, Jerry, help me hold this little so-and-so until Mr. Miller gets back with the hammer. And then we can all take a look at the meat in your pretty stupid little head. Somehow, Maddie was able to escape. She fled from the grocery store into the street. Every face she saw immediately turned to a scowl. The customers at Miller's Grocery were piling out of the door and into the street, armed with shovels and cutlery. She didn't know where to turn or who could help, so she turned to the last place I expected her to. She turned to the last place she probably should have. She turned to me. There we were, in my house, just the two of us. We frantically ran around the house, turning off lights, trying to hide any sense that someone could be inside. When done, we fell, exhausted, with our backs to the inside of the front door. Why is this happening to me? As is always the case in a good short story, a prose with a point, my story had changed me. I saw the terror in Maddie's eyes. I heard her story, the nice things she said in the grip of total fear. She had thought nicely of me to Jason, came to my home in her time of need. I had made a mistake. I think I know why this is happening to you. You? How? How would you know? It's... I think it is because of me. I... I don't understand. I was just so jealous. I was so angry. My feelings were so hurt. I wanted to come clean. Tell her I was sorry. Tell her I didn't mean it. Take it back if I could. 
But it turned out we just didn't have the time. Mr. Miller and his mob had found us. Come on out of there, Maddie McGill. Leave me alone! Now, now, you little bitch. Come out here so we can put an end to you. Why are you doing this? Abby? Abby Kirkland? Is that you? Don't worry, honey. We just want Maddie. You can run on down to Kelly's and get your mom. We just want Maddie. Oh, God, don't let them take me. I don't want you to hurt her. Well, that's unfortunate, Abby, because we are going to hurt her. Yeah, hurt her real bad. I'm going to hit her in the head with a hammer. Yes, dear, we know you can hit her with your hammer. Please, just go away and leave us alone. They're going to kill us. No, Maddie. They want to kill you, and we're going to give them exactly what they want. You're going to kill me? Kind of. I explained the plan as we worked. She was to go into the garage refrigerator and get my dad's old camouflage ghillie suit and as much of my dad's hunting meat from the freezer. It was early in the hunting season, but dad always had enough meat to feed an army year-round. While she did that, I ran to the kitchen and turned all the burners on high and got the lighter fluid from the stove flue. We met back in the living room, but we were running out of time. You little bitches are really starting to piss me off. I want Maddie's head on a pike five minutes ago, you hear me? Calm down, Mitchell. You're going to have an aneurysm. This is supposed to be a good thing we're doing, killing that hideous young tramp. Hey, Maddie, if we really are BFFs, then do me a favor and bring your face out here so I can bash it in. Maddie? My God, they're going to rip me apart! Maddie, are you listening to me? Yes. Yes. Here's the plan. We're going to have to play act a bit. And I don't know about you, but I've been doing it for a year. Maddie, Maddie, are you listening? She looked at me, her eyes wild with confusion. I said her name again and she focused on me. I figured this was the most lucidity I was going to get. So I told her the plan. First, we pile up all the meat in the middle of the living room, douse both the meat and the living room in lighter fluid. We were then going to act like I wanted to kill her too, really yelling it so that the mob could hear. Then I would light the meat pile as Maddie screamed and played dead. Immediately after pretend dying, Maddie was to run out back and lay down in the field and not move until I came to get her. That was the plan, and we did exactly that. I hate you, and I have always hated you, Maddie McGill. Abby! Abby, why? Please don't! Yes, gut that bitch, Abby. You get her good, Abby, but don't hog all the fun. Oh, I always knew Abby was one of the good ones. Didn't I always say that, Mitchell? Yes, you did, Molly. Yes, you did. Please, Abby, don't! Please! I'm going to chop your face into little pieces and burn your damn corpse. You've taken everything from me. Now, I'm going to bathe in your blood. Damn, Abby's going on medieval and shit. I lit the meat pile. It swelled up, quickly spreading to the carpet and curtains. Maddie ran out the back to hide as I continued my act while walking out the front door. Finally, I never have to see that bitch's pretty face again. I hope you burn in hell, Maddie McGill. Is she dead? Did you kill her? Hell yeah, I killed her. 
I only wish I could kill her again. But I wanted to hit her with my hammer. There, there, dear. Well, it's too late. All you get to do is watch that cow burn. My line might have been a little too on the nose, but still, they did exactly that. As many of them as could fit huddled around the front door to my house, looking at the living room blaze, salivating over the pile of burning meat in the middle. Meat they thought belonged to Maddie McGill. The fire died down and everybody went home. They went on with their lives like nothing happened. And if Maddie's name did come up, anyone and everyone in the town would just agree on how much they hated her and that they were glad she was gone. Early the following morning, I went out and found Maddie, curled up in a ball under the camouflage, asleep. I let her sleep for a little while. It was the least I could do. Since then, I help Maddie as much as I can. It is the price for my actions, and what else can I do, really? After all, I am the only person in the world who doesn't hate Maddie McGill. Yes, October country is just full of little life lessons. Lessons like, be careful where you throw your hate around. You never know who's going to pick it up. Maddie lives in hiding now, and I know it to be true because I've met Abby, and she told me. Abby, well, Abby does her best to help Maddie, bringing her food and whatever she needs to live. Abby is a true friend nowadays. I like her. But that Maddie, I met her one time, and I'll tell you what. Curse or no curse, I hate her. And if I ever see her again, I'm going to kill her. That's a fun one. I'm going to listen to it again. Everybody Hates Maddie McGill was written by Chauncey Haworth. Maddie McGill was played by Caitlin Curtis. Abby Kirkland was voice acted by Laura Nicole. Nat and Mrs. Molly Wright were voice acted by Victoria Fonsky. The Witch Behind the Door in the Rocks was played by Rosanna Jimeno. Jason Rosado and Mr. Mitchell Miller were played by Pete Lutz. And your host, Augustus Scythe, is Wesley Critchfield. The Music in the Market was produced by Daniel French. All other October country and background music is written and produced by Diablo Jones. Story and Dialogue Production by Mark Slade, Chauncey Haworth, and Lothar Tuppen. Editing, Mixing, Mastering, and Sound Design are by Daniel French at Fishbonius Sound Design. Thank you for writing on Chronosphere Fiction. Hope you had a good journey. We could use some financial help, so go to patreon.com slash chronosphere 
and become a patron. Well, that's it for this ride, so don't bump your head on your way out. Until next time, keep your cosmos clean. Thank you for listening to Wednesday Wonders right here on the Mutual Audio Network. Please consider subscribing to other days of the Mutual feeds, including Monday Matinee for classic live and theatrical audio plays, Tuesday Terrors for horror audio drama, Thursday Thrillers for action, adventure, mystery, and crime drama, Friday Follies, our end-of-the-week comedy series, Saturday Story Circle for kids and families alike, and Sunday Showcase, bringing you the very newest in audio releases for the week from our United Artists of Audio, right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The Mutual Audio Drama Network, where we listen and imagine together.